Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Twenty years ago, I was in a band. That's right, believe it or not, I was in a band. I was the bass player in a band, which is um, perhaps the easiest way to get into a band, but I was the bass player in a band. And being a bass player in a band means that you can say, I am a musician. You can, you can say that, I'm a musician. I did things that musicians are supposed to do. So I practiced, believe it or not, I practiced Uh, I also helped to write songs, believe it or not, none of which you will ever hear ever. Uh, And we performed them live in front of people. Not many people, but we performed it live. Now, I was a musician. I could say I am a musician. And other people, in fact, would say that about me. They would say, you are a musician. Now, they may have said you are a good musician or you are a bad musician. That was entirely up to them, but they could say that about me. Uh, And it was, in some way, part of who I was. It was a tiny part, even, of my identity. I could say, I am a musician. Uh, And uh, I could say that. It was a little bit of who I was. Uh, And understanding who we are uh, is very important. And we're going to talk a bit about it today. Because Jesus has a lot to say about who we are. Uh, And what he says about us and tells us who we are is actually very, very important for our faith. To have a clear idea of who we are meant to be uh, is very important. And sometimes as Christians, maybe as followers of Jesus, uh, we get caught up in what we are meant to do. Uh, And actually, probably as humans, we get caught up in that, the sense of, uh, I need to do things. But actually, starting with who we are before behaviour is important. Uh, And in identity, Jesus felt that the world could be renewed, it could be restored, Uh, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, look, pray that it would be on earth like it is in heaven. And one of the means of answering that prayer was by us knowing who we are. Uh, He thought identity could actually bring dramatic change in the world just by knowing who you are. Uh, And he doesn't always set us tasks first. He actually says, look, this is who you are. And then that will affect your behavior. Who you are is knowing who you are is more important than knowing what you're meant to do. So when you understand identity, you begin to live up to it, right? So we're going to read from Matthew 5 today, and Jesus is going to make some pretty big, challenging statements for us. Uh, And now, if you were here last week, uh, Beth taught us on the Beatitudes, and we're going to kind of read them all through again because they're very helpful to us, and they're the context for us. And then we're going to read a little bit further, and it will appear up behind me. Um, Thank you very much, Tom. And then we will, uh, we will uh, try our best to understand them, understand this sense of I am or you are, your identity. Okay, so we'll start in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, how shall, it, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. This is how Jesus starts his great sermon on the mounts. And in this passage, Jesus gives us a clear idea of attitudes and behaviours, we call them the Beatitudes, and Beth taught us on those last week. And he even says, like, those behaviours are blessed. You behave in this way, look, I will, I will bless you, I'll look after you. But he sets it in the context of identity, of who we are. So they are big statements about good ways of behaving, kind of good ways of thinking about the world and processing the world, good ways of, of living, good ways of putting others above yourself, not thinking of yourself first, but looking to serve others. And in all of this, in those Beatitudes, it's like there's a question that hangs over them. And it's asking us that question. As simply as, who, who are you? Who do you think you are? What have you been made for? What is your role in the world, in the universe? What is your identity, really? And then he gives us a bit of a vision for what that could be, our, our identity and how that affects our present and our future. So in verses 13 and 14, he says, you are. That's what he says, you are. You are salt, you are light, you are a city on a hill. Now, as he says this, we need to understand a little bit of what Jesus is doing. And Jesus has begun his new kingdom. Okay, well, what does that mean? What it means is Jesus' mission on earth was to restore the relationship between God, the Father in heaven, and between his people. That's what Jesus came to do. And he came to do that in his life, in his teaching, then in his death, then in his resurrection, was to restore the people of God back to the Father. Also, back to their place and their purpose in creation. And also, he was beginning the job of restoring all of creation as well. And so Jesus is, is in that. He's, he's living that out now. It's happening now. And how do we know that? Well, one of the clues is he's beginning to tell us, this is who you are. This is your purpose and place in the world. This is your identity. He says, you are. So let's think about these two you are statements. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And really for Jesus, that kind of puts us right in the middle of his plan. These two statements put us right in the center. We are not audience members. As If we follow Jesus, if we say he's our Lord and Savior, that doesn't mean you become an audience member at a really good play or a great football match or you kind of watch the action play out in front of you, but really you're just there to watch. He's saying, no, actually you're involved. You are part of this. You are salt. You are light. And it's a few things. Firstly, it's urgent and present. It says, you have 
When you understand who you are, you have a purpose that affects the world today, affects those around you, your salt and light. And it's not flattery. He's not trying to uh, kind of butter them up and get them involved. And uh, he's not trying to make them just feel good about themselves. Actually, no, this is urgent purpose. This is what you were created for. So it's urgent and present. It also requires our commitments, commitment to retain saltiness and to not hide the light. And it's also future focused. So really he's saying, look, results come from living, from thinking about yourself, from understanding who you are. This has an effect on you and begins to change not just your future, but the future of those around you, perhaps. So it's urgent, requires commitment. It's also about the future. So what what does he mean by you are the salt of the earth? It's quite an odd statement, isn't it? Now, at the time, salt had been used for thousands of years, and we still use it now. We use it for lots of different things, whether it's um, melting the ice on your car or flavoring your food or whatever it might be. But in Jesus' time, the main use of salt was to preserve meat. And so they would preserve meat by rubbing salt into it because they didn't have fridge freezers. They would just rub the salt into the meat, and that would mean it would last for a very long time in actually a pretty warm climate. So when you rub that salt in, you dramatically increase the length of time that that thing is good, that it is edible, that it is useful. And in this, Jesus was reminding his people a little bit of their purpose and their identity. Remember, his, his job, Jesus' mission is to restore the people of God to the Father in heaven, to repair that relationship. But also in that, Israel's role or the people of God's role was to represent God to humanity and also for humanity to represent back to God as well. We had a role of mediation between the two and so somehow in that we preserve the earth. We keep it good. It's almost like we rub salt into creation. Now in Leviticus, I'm sure you were all reading Leviticus this morning before you came to church. I'm sure that's something you do often. But Leviticus, it talks a bit about salt. Actually, Leviticus 2 says, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. So all the offerings that the people would bring to the temple to be sacrificed to God as their worship to him, the instruction is actually should have salt on it. You think, well, that's a bit odd. Why would you, why do you need to do that? It says, you shall not let the salt of, your, of the covenant with your God be missing from the grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Like, that is an unusual request. And really, it's a, that kind of preservative action. It shows how important uh, you are, to, uh, how it's an important part of the sacrifice to God's. It's part of people's worship. So it is a hint, really, even in Leviticus, and as Jesus teaches about how the world is preserved. So is Jesus saying, take a bag of salt with you wherever you go. Whenever you offer up grain to God, you should put salt on it. Now for Jesus, he's expanding the image out. Okay, he's saying, actually, you yourself are the salts. You yourself are the preservative agents. You yourself are the thing that makes the world better for longer, that keeps it in good condition. We are the salt, salt that changes, salt that preserves. So as you live out your life in your workplace, in your, in your family, in your friendship groups, uh, as you work, as you study, whatever it is you do, uh, you are salt in that place. 
Your job is to change, to preserve, to keep something good, to stop it from going bad and going off. Actually, we can, as followers of Jesus, slow down the decline or decay that we see, perhaps in society around us, perhaps in a friendship group, whatever it might be. We can do things, we can be someone that preserves what is good in the world. Well, how do we do that? It's an easy thing to say. Well, how do you do that? Well, remember what Jesus was teaching on the Beatitudes, on behaviours and hearts attitudes. So, for example, we are to be meek. It's a heart attitude of trusting God and not pushing our own agenda, to be meek, to say, actually, I'm going to put other people before myself. I'm not going to look to undermine other people. I'm going to look to lift them up above me so that they will do well. They might succeed in things that I can't succeed in. I'm being meek. I'm lifting them up, not myself. Actually, that is a very powerful preservative action, isn't it? A very powerful action that actually makes the world better than it was before. It talks about hungering after righteousness and justice and mercy and purity and being a peacemaker. Actually, all of those are behaviours of being salt. That's how we preserve the earth, how we stop the spread of decay. So Jesus is encouraging us. Look, engage with the world around you and you can produce goodness just by being who you are meant to be. So let's think. For example, you might choose uh, someone that you hear is, has upset you. Uh, they have maybe said something about you or something has happened and you feel upset by that. And you have some choices in, the mo- in that moment, don't you? And some of the choices might be to sulk. That can be a choice. I'm going to sulk about this and I'm going to bear a grudge about what has happened here. That could be your choice. Or it could be I'm going to get them back. This one, I'm going to, I'm going to retaliate. They have made me feel bad. I'm going to make them feel bad. Or you could choose mercy in that moment. Actually, you could choose forgiveness in that moment and restoration in that moment. And in that that point, then you are being salt, aren't you? Perhaps you could decide when you hear people gossiping. Uh, And Vicky, my wife, she is uh, a nurse. Uh, On on her wards, there are, uh, it's a big ward, there are hundreds of nurses there. Uh, And she would say sometimes it's a pretty intense environment because uh, people are tired because of how they are working. Uh, Often it's quite a high pace environment. uh, And actually it can lead to gossip. It can lead to people dragging other people down in conversation and things that they say. Uh, And actually she would say just in those, sometimes even in the lunch break or a coffee break, deciding not to join in and on a conversation that is gossipy, in of itself is being salt. In of itself is trying to do a a good thing and preserve. Perhaps when we choose purity over short-term pleasure, actually that's a a very good salt thing to do, isn't it? A way of being. When we seek justice for someone who can't defend themselves, perhaps again in that gossip thing, you hear uh, someone being horrible about someone who's not there and not able to defend themselves. Actually, we perhaps even by saying one thing to stand up for that person, actually we are being sought. Our city, Manchester, the places that we work, our friendship groups, our, our families, they need Christians in who think in that way. This is who I am. I am sought. I can preserve this place. I can restore it. I can make it good by just remembering what Jesus says I am. I can prevent it from going off. 
it's very easy, actually, to kind of forget our role in the world, perhaps even because uh, the chaos of the modern world or of life is uh, so full on, we, we've, we just forget, actually, even just being, by me being me and who God has called me to be, I can actually bring some change. Perhaps you watch 24-hour news, you see some carnage, you think, oh, there is absolutely nothing I can do about that. It's interesting, tonight we have Sharon and Alexis uh, talking to us about what they, uh, what they do and their life in the Kurdish part of Iraq. Uh, and part of their story is um, that they saw when there was a huge refugee crisis, uh, probably about seven years ago now, uh, and the bodies of children were just washing up on the beach. Uh, and uh, Alexis would say, I knew at that point I had to get to Iraq. I had to help there. I had to do something that helped these kids before they fled with their families uh, and in, even in that small decision, in setting up that small charity and you know, living their life as they do there, actually they are trying to be salts. The way that we interact with the world around us, who we realise we are, actually is very important. Jesus doesn't say, you go and do being salt. He says, you are. But this you are is a great encouragement to us, but it also comes with a bit of a warning as well. It says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And Jesus warns against compromise here, against forgetting our identity. How can we lose saltiness? What what does Jesus mean by that? Well, in those days... People would sell bags of salt because everybody needed it to preserve their meat. Uh, And in order to turn one bag of salt into two bags of salt and double your money, you would just mix it with sand, sand or dirt. So you can make more and more money by just slowly contaminating the salt until eventually it becomes useless. You're not rubbing uh, salt into your nice dead cow, you are rubbing dirt into it, which is no good for it whatsoever. It's no use for preserving, so you might as well just throw it away and to walk on it. There's no use to us at all. And it's a very high call, actually, from Jesus in this moment, saying, you have purpose in the world. You, you are an individual with identity that I have given you. Don't compromise that. We take our place in the world. Uh, there's a book I've read by a guy called Edwin Friedman, who is a family therapist. And this book is amazing. So I've read it a number of times. You might think, Tim, that sounds colossally boring. Why would you read it a number of times? But it was really good. I read it a number of times. And he had a very, very simple argument. His argument was, in a very dysfunctional family, if one member of that family knows their identity, like knows, this is who I am, this is the life that I want, this is how I'm going to behave... And they decided to live their identity out and not be affected by perhaps the emotional chaos around them, not to be dragged off course by people who wanted to sabotage them or or cause them harm. But actually, I, I know I'm going to live this way and would go through the pain of having to do that. He would say, actually, it would change the whole family units. Actually, it would begin to realign the whole family. And he applied his theory to organisations, to churches, uh, to different religious groups, actually. And he would say, look, in a church, if it is chaos, if there is difficulty, actually, if people decide, you know what, I'm going to live uh, my identity. And for us, we think, okay, we're going to live like Jesus. We're going to be salts. Actually, it brings change. 
You think about our workplace. Again, think about uh, um, perhaps where you work, or, or Vicky would tell me about where she works as, as a nurse. Actually, she knows that if she operates in a calm way, if she operates in a clear-headed way, actually it will really change the atmosphere uh, and change kind of their ability to work together quite quickly. And we all know that person that when they show up, um, when they come to an event that you're doing, that brings stress. Perhaps that family Christmas, you know, when that person arrives, the whole dynamic is going to change. Isn't it? You, don't, you know that it doesn't matter how well everybody else is getting on, that one person will change everything. Everybody knows. Everybody's got that family member uh, that brings that stress, but brings that anxiety, and it affects everyone. But the opposite of that is also true. If someone brings calmness, someone brings clear thinking, actually, if somebody brings warmth, not confrontation, and someone brings humour, not cynicism, actually, that also affects everyone as well. That also has a positive impacts. Simply by being who you are brings change to the context that you're in. Whether you are pure salt, as Jesus said, or actually you bring change if you're contaminated salt. And it's a very high call for us. God wants us to preserve the world, to be good for the world. By having people that follow Jesus, that understands what he says about us, we are salt. We are the means that God wants to use. And Jesus states this very clearly. Every one of you here has a role that Jesus calls you into. But there's a warning in that as well. You could lose your saltiness. If you can become contaminated, if you uh, compromise you give up on righteousness or purity or justice, then slowly but surely that salt gets cut with dirt and and you lose your purpose and identity. This is a high call. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to the next you are. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, years ago, Vicky and I were in uh, Italy with some friends, and they said, we're going to take you to the, to the town of Assisi, uh, and it's in the middle of a plain on a hill. So you drive over the a hill quite a long way off into the plain, and you can see it from miles away, this city on a hill. It's very, very visible. And for us, Jesus is calling us to a visibility. And there's two images of that here. There's light, and there is the city, and both of them about being seen being noticed. So when we think about light, you're in a dark room, you turn on a light and you think, I can now see that light. But not only that, you can see everything else in the room as well. That, that light source brings other things into visibility. And the city on a hill as well, when it's a visible way of life. <coughs> you know that people live in that city. You might be walking towards that city knowing that it has a reputation. So you might go towards that city thinking, oh, that is a city of arts and culture. I know I'm going there because I want to experience art and culture. Or you might be walking towards it thinking there are job opportunities there. That city has a reputation. <coughs> you also might think the opposite. You might think that city has a reputation for violence and difficulty, and uh, you'd be walking towards it. So it, it's a visibility, isn't it? And Jesus wants us to understand we are to be known and visible. So in verse 15, he says, look, people, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. You don't light a candle and then cover it so it can't be seen. It gives light to the whole house. In the same way, your light shines before others. (coughs) 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to be visible, to be known. People actually should have heard of us. Quite an unusual thing to think, perhaps, in the age of having a very private faith, a personal faith, a faith that perhaps other people would rather you just don't mention it. That's the, the most easy way. Or, or, or We would prefer it if you were to live in exactly the same way as the rest of society. Then we're happy for you to be a Christian. Actually, that's not what Jesus was after. He was saying, look, you, you are salt and you are light. You are different. You are visible. We are a light on a stand that brings light to a whole house because of who God has made us to be. And again, it's that idea of that that Christmas, maybe, where the person of chaos turns up. But actually, you can be the person of light. We are called to a new identity. It's not about the things necessarily that you say. It's not even about the things necessarily that you refuse to do. Actually, it's knowing this is who God has called me to be. 